One of the most powerful stories in the whole Bible to me is in Joshua chapter 14. I want to share this with you in a message called, Are We There Yet? Are We There Yet? So while you turn to Joshua 14, I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just ask you to let me decrease that you might increase. Let your spirit flow through me today. And let these beautiful people understand that this is not about me or any pastor, any leader, any church, or any movement. This is about Jesus Christ, your word, and what you want to do in our lives. So let all of us become nothing and let you become everything. I thank you and praise you now that our hearts are well-tilled, fertile soil, and this is good seed. Let it fall upon our spirits, germinate, grow, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown in the mighty name of jesus everybody said joshua chapter 14 verse uh, five six it's just too small for me to see the number six now the people of judah approached joshua at gilgal and caleb son of jephunneh the kenizzite said to him You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old. I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. So the promise was given at 40. Now Caleb is 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Then the land had rest from war. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I want to read another another verse to you, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Now listen to this because it's so incredibly powerful. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And that sounds like a contradiction within a statement. We face trials of many kinds. We don't, as human beings, often consider that joy, especially pure joy. But he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to, I want to tell you something. Some of you in this room right here are facing trials right now in your lives. It is how we choose 
to view them as to the impact they're going to have in our lives. It is. It is is an internal decision that we make as to how we're going to perceive what lies before us. You can have a confrontational, adversarial attitude toward people, and instead of seeing people as connective opportunities, we'll begin to see people as in the way of what we want to do, and actually they're there to help us do what we need to do. Some of you are facing financial challenges. Let me tell you something. Your job, listen to me, your job is not your source. Your God is your source. Don't you be afraid and don't you worry and don't you try to fix it inside your head. Get on your face before God and become the spiritual person God intended you to be. If you want to see God do miracles in your life, then start walking in the realm that qualifies you to have miracles operative in your life. Stop being fearful. I'm just going to do some negative stop stuff. Stop being fearful. Stop complaining. Stop saying negative things. Stop being afraid of the future. Stop thinking about failure. Stop beating yourself up. Start praying. Start reading the Word. Start worshiping God. Start speaking life over your life. Start taking authority over the future. And start believing God like you never have before. Go on. I'm going to praise Him, praise Him. Start thinking about what you're going through as joy. Why? Why should I think about this as joy? And I'm going to tell you something. John Jackson, stand up. I want you to eyeball every person. Look at everybody. Look at them. Now I want you to give them that cop face. See, you don't, you don't want Big John coming to your car saying, I need to see driver's license registration. Have you been drinking this morning? Just coffee, I promise. Look at John. You, everybody look in John's eyes. Look at him, John. None of us know what's going on behind those eyes. Now listen to me. None of us know what's going on behind that man's eyes. Every person we meet, we have no idea what's going on behind their eyes or the experience of life they have gone through. Nobody knows his story except him and God. Nobody knows mine but me and God. Nobody knows yours but you and God. So who do you need to trust more than anybody else? the one who knows you best. Thank you, John. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, comma, because you know. It didn't say you feel. It did not say you feel. It says you know. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. We do not live by what we feel. We live by what we know. Because you know that The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Man, let that word just sit there on the front of your brain for a minute. Perseverance. Let, allow, you, the understood subject in parentheses, permit it to happen. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Man, that's the good stuff right there. How many of you want to be mature and complete in God, not lacking anything? Let perseverance finish its work. Point number one today, perseverance is the secret to all success. Perseverance is the secret to all success. You you can go and watch motivational videos on YouTube, and I warn you before you start that they will motivate you. 
You want to get motivated about something? Start watching some motivational videos on YouTube. I also warn you, sometimes they use choice language in those videos, so you've got to be careful. But they will motivate you. You want to be motivated even better than that? Put your face in the Word of God and start reading that. That will motivate you. Because I'm going to tell you something. People that love you will do things for you nobody else will. People that love you, the Bible says greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God loves you so much, he's already laid down his life for yours. So let me just, let me just say this to you. We all go through days when we just don't feel God, we just don't feel spiritual, we just feel blah and yuck. We all go through times like that. God seems quiet and distant and all that stuff. Listen, anytime you go through a dark time, remember, God has already proven that he loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. Never doubt that God's not right there, that he's not walking with you, that he doesn't have you just like this. He knows what you need. He knows right where you are. He knows right what you're going through. Never doubt God's motive toward you. He's already proven it at a place called Calvary. Now, I probably won't say anything more powerful than that the rest of this service, but it is important that you get that. Perseverance is the secret to all success. Starting without finishing is also known as failure. Starting without finishing is also known as failure. Don't be Roberto Duran. There's a movie out called Hands of Stone, I think it is. Roberto Duran was a famous Hispanic boxer many, many years ago. And he, he was known as Hands of Stone because when he hit people, they just sort of fell down. He was very successful. At one point, he was considered pound for pound the greatest fighter in the world. But his claim to fame is not a positive memory. His claim to fame came in a bout between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. They were fighting, and in the middle of the fight, Roberto Duran just says, no mas, no mas, no mas, no more, and he quit. And nobody could believe it. And I remember the commentator saying, I think Roberto Duran just got frustrated that he couldn't hit Sugar Ray Leonard. And I always wondered, because Roberto Duran, he'd fought so many fights, he was fearless. The man was a warrior all my life. I wanted to know why did he say no mas and quit. I finally found out last week. I read an interview with a sportscaster and Roberto Duran himself. And Roberto Duran said, I will tell you why I said no mas. He said, first of all, I never really said no mas. He said something else, but it meant the same thing. He said, the reason I said no mas was not that Sugar Ray Leonard was beating me up or that that, uh, I couldn't hit him. He said, the reason I said no mas is my coach pushed me to, to fight him before I was ready. And this is his, his words. He said, I was fat. I was out of shape. I didn't have enough wind. And I got to the place where I just didn't have any, any gas left in my tank. And I just couldn't go any further. And I just had to quit because I wasn't prepared for the fight. Now, Roberto Duran is one of the greatest boxers of all time. It is really unfair to his legacy to be remembered for quitting in the middle of a fight. But if you ask anybody who knows boxing, what's Roberto Duran most famous for? They're going to say no mas. No mas is, is really synonymous with Roberto Duran. And it shouldn't be. But it is because he quit. Don't quit. Winston Churchill gave a college graduation speech one time. He walked to the podium. He stood there, his rotund self, his bald head, 
lips pursed out like a proper British Englishman, gentleman, and he said, Don't give up! He paused, and then he said, Don't give up! He poked his lip out, and then he said, Don't give up! And he went back and sat down, and that was it. And it took all the kids a minute to realize two things. Number one, that's the shortest graduation speech we're ever going to get, and we got it. Yay. <laughs> Secondly, man, that's powerful stuff. And after about a three-second delay, they stood up and hooped and hollered and threw their caps in the air. I started to say threw their caps and gowns in the air. I hope not, but anyway. <laughs> Starting without finishing is also known as failure. It is not about how well we start. Did you see the video? They actually did the race the other day between the tortoise and a hare, a tortoise, a turtle, and a rabbit. They actually did one, a real one. You won't believe what happened. It played out exactly like the story. I watched it. The rabbit took off and then just stopped. And the old turtle just... And if you can stand to watch all three minutes of the turtle walking down the track, sure enough, he crosses the finish line and the bunny's still sitting there. I was like, man, it's true. All these years I thought, yeah, right. And it's true. I saw it. Starting without finishing is also known as failure. Don't start something you're not willing to commit to all the way to the finish line. It's better not to start than to start and quit. Count the cost. Stop and consider what is this going to cost me. When I, I started, when I came here 21 years ago, the only golf I'd ever played was putt-putt. I was not a golfer. I didn't like the game of golf. Me, me and my dad laughed at, the, at the, the silly little men who, he called it, chased the white ball across the cow pasture. But a lot of guys in my church played golf. So I decided, you know, if I want to be able to minister to these guys, I need to at least try. So they had the, back then we were First Assembly of God, First Assembly of God's golf tournament. And Lance was, was with me, and he, I, I said, man, please take me out and show me something about golf. So Lance takes me to this little par three, and of course I'm left-handed, so the first problem is trying to find left. I'm not left-handed, I'm right-handed, but I bat and swing everything left-handed. So I, I throw right, but I swing left. Anyway, I play golf left-handed. So we had to find me some left-handed clubs, and he found me some somewhere, and got out there, and he tried to explain to me how to hit the ball, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd take a mighty swing of this golf ball laying on the grass, and I'd, I'd dig up a chunk of dirt about the size of that speaker, and it would, you know, fall over, and Lance would try not to laugh. He'd, That's good, Pastor. You know, you can't make fun of your boss, you know. <laughs> Doing pretty good. Try not to swing so hard. <laughs> Dead beavers laying around, you know, so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit. And I, I, I decided I'm going to at least be decent at this thing. So over a period of three or four years, I got to where I could at least play in the, in the 80s. You know, I didn't become pro golfer, but... I could at least play without embarrassing myself too bad. But it took a lot of work. It took great perseverance. If you're going to start something, finish it. Go through with it. I never did want to be a pro golfer, but I did want to get good enough I could play and not embarrass myself. And it took me a while. It took me three or four years. But it was worth it. it was, I got to where I really enjoyed the game of golf. Sometimes finishing something is its own best reward. Secondly, there will always be a million reasons to quit. You only need one to keep going. 
there will always be a reason, a million reasons to quit, but you only need one good reason to keep going. You need to find that reason to keep moving forward. You need to find that why. Discover that motivation deep down inside yourself, and whatever it is you're trying to achieve, don't quit, and this is why you got a reason to keep going. Before you start something, make sure that it's what God has put in your heart to do. And when, you, when you're doing what God told you to do, you won't second guess why you started in the first place. This is where people mess up. They, they start something, and, and they're not really sure it's what they're supposed to do, but there's nothing else readily presentable, so they just do that. And that's not enough. That's not what we need to be doing. We need to be doing what God has directed us to do. Don't just chase a dream. Chase God's dream for you. Find out what God's will is for you and chase after that. Why? Why are you chasing the dream you're chasing? Why are you moving forward? I want to tell you something about unsung heroes, and I want you to hear this. I know we talk about heroes being our first responders, our police officers, firefighters, paramedics, doctors. I know we talk about our heroes being soldiers and and people that, that go overseas. I, some unsung heroes are people in the intelligence services. They always get mocked. But let me tell you something. Intelligence services have their own separate army. If you get caught and you're a spy, you don't get away. They torture you. You can't help speaking and telling everything you know. And I'll tell you what, all these shows you see on TV with the guy taking all this torturing and he won't talk, that's baloney. The, 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 un, the understood thing in intelligence world and espionage is everybody talks. And if you're a spy and you get discovered, they're going to torture you till they get the information, and without exception, they're going to kill you every single time. So you know beforehand that's what you're going into. But let me tell you, all those people are unsung heroes, but let me tell you about another unsung hero. An unsung hero in my mind is the man or the woman or both who have a family, a home, some children, and they rouse themselves out of bed every day. And they go in there and they take a shower, shave, shampoo, whatever it is they do. And they get dressed and they get in their vehicle and they drive to whatever place it is where they have to work. And they don't really, if they had their choice, they'd, they'd really rather have $10 million in the bank and not have to do any of that. But since they don't, they don't have a choice. So with fearless determination, they get up every day. You will not see their names on the news. You will not see their name on a marquee. <coughs> you will not see their photograph on the cover of Time magazine. But day in, day out, week in, week out, they get up every day, they dress themselves, they go to a place they really don't want to be at to do a job they really don't think is a whole bunch of fun with a bunch of people they might not rather choose to be their friends, and they do it anyway to provide for their families, to put food on the table, to put a roof over the head, to put shoes and clothes on their babies' backs and, and feet, and to pay the price for being an American family. Let me tell you something. The working men and women of America every day are absolute heroes, and we salute you in the name of Jesus. And I believe that with all my heart. Don't you grow weary in it. Your why is you're providing for your family. Don't you get weary of it. Your why is you're putting food on the table. I don't care if anybody ever knows your name. You are a hero in my eyes and in the eyes of God. I believe it. There will always be a million reasons to quit, but you only need one to keep going. There's a movie out called Hacksaw Ridge. I warn you before you see it, there's incredible 
violence and profanity in this movie. It's the story of Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was a soldier in World War II, and on the island of Okinawa, he made himself famous. He's the only soldier in the history of the United States military to win the Congressional Medal of Honor and never fire a shot in battle. And he didn't fire a shot because he didn't carry a gun. Now, stop right there. Let me just tell you my position on guns. I love them. Okay? If I'm going to battle, I'm going to have like 16 of them on me. I'm going to have a whole wagon full of ammo behind me, and I'm going to kill every enemy person I see, I'm telling you, and me and God will sort it out later. I have no compunction at all about that. So let me just clarify where I stand on guns and killing. You can come over here and kill me. Oh, no, not if I can kill you first. And if you don't like that on a preacher, I'm sorry, that's me. The Bible says, unless you first bind the strong man, you cannot spoil the goods of the strong man. I don't intend to be bound. I have many reasons why you should not try to bind me. <laughs> they come in several calibers, too. <laughs> so... <clears throat> But Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector. Now, he wanted to go to war. He wanted to serve his country. He just didn't want to kill anybody. So they allowed him, in his confused state, to go into battle and not carry a weapon. All he could carry was medical supplies because he wanted to be a medic. And his, his, his statement that became famous was, while everybody else is killing people and taking lives, I'm going to be saving them. Make a long story short... <clears throat> The United States forces encountered great resistance on the island of Okinawa. And on top of this ridge that had a pretty steep cliff face going down to the beach, our soldiers came under heavy machine gun fire, and many of them were killed and many were wounded. And without a weapon, and after the retreat of all of our forces but just a handful, Desmond Dahl stayed on top of that ridge without a weapon, with the advancing enemy, and he was able to save single-handedly 75 American soldiers who were wounded, and they did not die. You know what Desmond Doss kept saying in the movie? He kept saying, just one more, Lord. Help me just get one more. There are a million reasons to quit, but you only need one to keep going. Find out why. You're supposed to be doing what you're doing. And do that. Do it with all your heart. For you, for you friends of ours in Alaska, in that mining community, that mining camp out there, let me just say a word to you guys. You do hard work. You're courageous. You're rough men, tough men. And we salute you from down here in Georgia. And we respect you and we love you. And let me tell you, when you go down in that mine, if you're going with God, he's right there with you in the valley. He's right there with you in the dark place. And I'm going to tell you something else about you being in that mining camp. Don't you dare worry about what everybody else is doing. All the carousing and all the partying and all the stuff that might not please God. You don't worry about that because when you stand before God, there's not going to be one person beside you. It's going to be you and God. Nobody else's opinion matters. Let me encourage you men. Stand strong in the Lord. Make your stand for Jesus Christ. Let people call you preacher boy or altar boy or choir boy or whatever name they want to call you. As long as when the rapture sounds, Jesus calls you home. That's what you want. 
the beginning, the process, and the goal. To go through the beginning, to go through the process, and to reach the goal, it is perseverance, it is determination, it is vision, and it is discipline that keeps us moving forward in the process. The beginning, the process, the goal. To get there, you're going to need perseverance, determination, vision, and discipline. That's what keeps us moving forward. I brought a a little prop with me today. In a a few days, it's going to be opening day of turkey season. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm not a big turkey hunter. I mean, I've got the stuff here, as you can see, and I've got turkey decoys, and I've I've killed a bunch of turkeys over the years. The problem with turkey hunting is that turkey season comes during the very best time of year to catch bass. So it's like a built-in conflict for me. I'm torn, you know. I put on the camel, I walk out in the woods, and I'm singing, Torn between two lovers, feeling like a fool. So let me just take you through how you hunt turkeys, okay, real quick. I know some of you might say, Pastor, I cannot possibly tell you the degree of apathy I feel regarding turkey hunting. I understand that. You don't care one thing in the world about it. But stick with me, because there's a lesson in the camo, all right? First of all, you're hunting the male turkeys only. It's a $10,000 fine to kill a hen. So you want to kill a tom or a gobbler, okay? Gobblers make a gobbling sound like, kind of like that. All right. Turkey hunting is all about sounds. Deer hunting is all about scent and a little bit about sound. Turkeys don't smell anything, but they hear and they see very well. So you go out in the woods in the morning, and the turkeys are still roosted up in the trees. They fly up in trees and roost in trees at night so that predators on the ground like foxes and coyotes and bobcats won't get them as easily, so they're up in the trees. So you go out there in the dark, and you do a real soft owl hoot like this. And you'll hear the turkey going. Way off. And sometimes you'll hear him going. He's right over. I was turkey hunting with a guy named Robert one time. And another thing you can do is a, is a crow call. And it's not soft. It's real loud. I took I took Robert out to the woods, and we're standing there in a pitch black dark and fog, kind of a spooky, swampy place. We stood there. I said, let's just stand here a minute and see if we, see if we hear any turkeys. Sometimes they'll just gobble on the roost. We're standing there. Robert's beside me. He's a tall guy, big glasses on. I didn't tell him anything. I decided, well, I'm just going to do a crow call. So I just went, ah! And he just dashed to run. He's like, glass, you scared me out of six years' growth. What'd you do that for? It's dark out here. You holler. So... But a crow call, ah, ah, they'll, they'll gobble to that. So you can, also, you can also use, Pastor, you're crazy, I know. You can also use a mechanical. Sometimes they'll, and sometimes they won't gobble at an at a owl, they'll gobble at a crow. Sometimes they won't gobble at a crow, they'll gobble at an owl. And sometimes they won't gobble at an owl that goes, oh, 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 oh. they want a quacky sounding owl. And I can't make my voice do a quacky owl, so I use this, and it goes, Okay. Sometimes they'll go. He's like that. Sometimes they'll fly. They'll gobble when you slam your car door. Airplane flies over. I'm kidding you not. They will. Turkeys. Once they fly down off the roost, there's several ways to call them. This is a box call. Okay. Okay. 
This is a purr. See? It works. Hey, this is funny. I was right here at Gable's store one day, and I had, I had taken like three of my secretaries. We were over at the Bright Star property. We had a big staff, and I had like three or four people that were working with me. All of them were ladies, and I took them with me. I said, hey, y'all want to run in the store real quick? They said, yeah, we'll go in there. And so I was trying out these box calls. You can hear them because they're loud, and I was over there going... And I was looking at it, and I said, okay. And so I turned around, and I just put the thing down, and I, I, I had it in my hand. And I was kind of walking to the front of the store, and I was going to buy it. And I was just doing this. I didn't know that three of my ladies were behind me. And everybody in the store stopped, and they were watching me go, all these pretty three ladies behind me. And one of the old men in the store said, whatever he's got, I want one of them. It was great, man. We laughed. We laughed about that for years. Bear, bear with me here. This, this, this vest is not my first, my first choice. I'll be honest and tell you the story about this vest. This is actually a woman's vest. I bought it by mistake at the Bass Pro Shop. You miners in the Alaska camp, please don't jink on me too hard for turkey hunting with a woman's vest. It just has a little more room in certain places, and that works for me, so... Uh, it's also shorter so I don't sit on it when I sit on the ground now this is called a slate call and I'm not trying to do world championship calling I'm just demonstrating okay it's a slate and this is a striker and you just friction call you just go you can call any turkey in the woods with those three calls a yelp A, uh, what's it called, a cut and a purr. You can call any turkey. Now, I showed you those to show you this last one and to tell you the story behind this. I decided that I had gone, I'd gone turkey hunting with my friend Greg down in Columbus, and he had this little diaphragm thing that you put in your mouth, and you blow air over it, and it, it makes turkey sounds. Now, some people can call turkeys with just their mouth. I can't do that. I can do owl hoots, and I can do crow calls with just my mouth, but calling a turkey is a different thing. So I have these three little diaphragm calls, okay? <clears throat> and I'm going to resist the urge to tell you who makes them and what they are, but these are the best turkey calls on earth, all right? So you put this in your mouth. You gotta make sure I gotta make sure that latex didn't stick together. All right. I think we're okay. If the latex sticks together, it won't work. You gotta shape it and mold it and put it in your mouth, and it sounds like this. took me a stupid year and a half to learn how to do that. I about choked to death on this turkey call. 
All right, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> my friend, it's so easy. You know, with these other calls, you got to use your hands. Turkeys can see movement. So you got your gun on your knee, you're hiding, and you're doing this over here. How are you going to kill a turkey like that? So Greg just sat there with him. So I thought, that's just too cool, you know. So I bought one of these. I popped it in my mouth. And I had all this dental work in my mouth from the wreck I was in, so it didn't fit right, and it wouldn't work right. And I'm like, man. So I put this thing, and I had a Toyota Land Cruiser at the time, one of the old FJ40 Jeep-looking Land Cruisers. It didn't have air conditioning, so I had to roll the windows down to ride around in it. So I'm riding around downtown Columbus, Georgia, <coughs> and I'm just doing this. I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> and nothing's happening. And, this, and when you don't know how to do this, it makes you drool. <laughs> so I'm driving down the road, and I stop at a stoplight, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm going, <laughs> and I'm drooling. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm going, <laughs> and I'm drooling all over myself. And the people on either side of me, i got my windows down, they can hear me, and they're just going. I'm like, I don't know how many kids I lost to my youth group over this stupid thing. It took me a year and a half to finally learn how to, I thought I would choke. I half swallowed it one day, pulled off the side of the road, had to dig it out of my mouth, <laughs> drool all over myself. I'd get back to the office and I'd have wet spots on my tie. <laughs> the secretary would go, you got, well, I know I'm drooling on myself. <laughs> but I finally learned how to do it. You know why I learned I wanted to do that? I mean, I'm not the world champion turkey caller, but I've called a bunch of turkeys up, and I'm confident in my ability to, to hunt them and shoot, shoot them once in a while. I get it right, and they come in, and I shoot them. You know why I learned to do that? Because I just wanted to. I just decided if Greg Conkle can do that, I can do that. It also helps that, that Mike Smith is one of the greatest turkey callers on earth down in Columbus, and he gave me some pointers on, on how to do that, and he... Uh, he taught me well, so I give him credit. The point is, though, the beginning, the process, and the goal. That sounds so neat and well put together, clinically thought out, derived out through logical cognition. But let me tell you something. The beginning, the process, and the goal, it ain't that easy. It takes perseverance. It requires determination. You must have a vision and a goal, and you've got to have iron-fisted discipline on yourself if you want to keep moving forward in the process. Now, the beautiful thing about this is, is that all of us know that there are times when we get this right, this whole perseverance, determination, discipline thing. There are days when we get it right. There are days when you eat right. There are days when you exercise right. There are days when you control your tongue. There are days, and you, I know there's some victorious warriors in here that can raise your hand when I ask you this question. How many of you, be honest now, have had people in Hotlanta cut you off in traffic, and instead of doing something rude, you actually just waved, and all your fingers, you waved, <laughs> and you said a prayer over them, and you didn't get mad about it. How many of you can say you've done that? You've actually gotten the victory over vexed How many of you are, are just aren't there yet? You just want to kill them all. Okay, I got you. There's some folks that say, nope, I want to kill them all. Give me photon torpedoes from the Starship Enterprise. This is Mr. Chekhov, target, fire phasers, you know. I understand. But in whatever dynamic we're operating, once in a while, we get it right. All of us do. And praise God for that. But there are moments 
if we'll be honest, when all of us are weak. There, there just are. There are moments when weakness catches us. I've got good news for you. The Bible says, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. You and me, I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to be perfect. We should. But when we don't make perfection, don't beat yourself to death because in our weakness, His strength is perfected. When we fail, He carries us where we failed. He teaches us, He shows us, He grows us, and He carries us through. What we cannot accomplish in the flesh, He more than makes up for in the realm of the Spirit. Everybody has given up on something. The spirit is willing, the Bible says, but the flesh is weak. We need God. Get up, dust yourself off, and try again. Get up, dust yourself off, and try again. There are many, many ways to win. Now, this is important. There are many ways to win, but there is only one way that 100% of the time absolutely guarantees failure, and that is giving up. Quitting, stopping, losing heart. Don't ever let it be said of you that you did that. Secondly, God knows where we are and what we need, and He never fails. You may be sitting here today and you may be thinking, God knows what I need and and God knows where I am, but boy, I wish He'd give me what I need. God never fails. Listen, if you miss Wednesday night, you miss one of the most powerful teachings I think I've ever done on what, what do we do when it seems like God is just silent. What do we do? It was a very powerful thing. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear it. It's important. There are going to be times in your life, all of us, when it's going to seem like God is silent, He's not hearing us, People come and they lay hands on us, they anoint us with oil, they pray for us, and nothing happens. We still have the pain. We don't see the financial miracle we prayed for. Listen, that happens in life. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes He says no, sometimes He says wait. And during those times, it seems like God can be far, far away. Listen to me, listen to me. This is so important. Our faith in God has to be more than just about the outcomes we want to see. It has to be wrapped up in the nexus of real relationship. When I was six, seven, eight years old, my father, I always wanted to go spend the night with this kid named Richard. And dad never once let me go spend the night with this kid. And I always wanted to know why. And, and dad wouldn't tell me. But I understood something about it. I don't need to know why because my father knew something about that that I did not. And at six or seven years old, all you know is Richard's my fun buddy at school. I want to go spend the night at his house. And Daddy said, no. What I didn't understand was that maybe, and I don't know any of this, but maybe there was somebody in that household that had a problem with young boys. Or maybe there was a drunk husband. Or maybe there was an abusive whoever. Maybe Richard had an older brother that was doing something he shouldn't have been doing, drugs, whatever. I don't know. But my father always said no. And at the time, I did not understand what was going on because it was beyond my ability to perceive. But my father understood and he knew. And you know what? I never got mad at my daddy about it. You know why? Listen, this is so huge. You know why I never got mad at my daddy? Because he said no to Richard. Let me spend the night. I never got mad at my daddy because I knew my father's motive toward me was what? Love. That's what I knew. 
I knew my daddy loved me. And that salved everything else. That was the oil and the machinery of the decision-making process and the matrix of the choices that my father made in his purview over me that kept me understanding whatever dad does, I know he's doing it because he loves me. It is exactly the same with God. Sometimes we are just not able to see what God sees. We're not able to understand what God understands. But I can tell you this. You may not like his answer. You may not understand why he's putting you through this or putting you through that. But God does. He knows things you and I don't. And his motive toward you is love. Every single time. All the time. Trust God. We, we trust God for forgiveness, mercy, grace, heaven. Healing, we need to trust God to help us persevere too. You know, we forget about these day-to-day grinds that we got to go through. And it can get wearisome. It, it, can get, it can take a toll on you psychologically. You can just get tired of going through the process over and over. Let me, let me encourage you, every day you have is a gift from God. Every breath you breathe is a gift from God. The moments you have with your children, with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, to be able to come here and lift your hands in corporate worship without fear of government soldiers running around the corner and opening fire on us. Praise God for the freedom we have in this country to worship Him and to have the freedom we do to enjoy His presence. Don't ever take it for granted. The Bible says, I'm going to close with this. Dave, if you guys will come and play. Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, do not become weary in doing good because in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Now the operative words in that verse I want you to focus on are three words that are no fun, but they make it all work. And those three words are in due time. It is the passing of time that causes most Christians and most people to stumble in their walk with God. It is the passing of time that dulls our sensitivity to His Spirit. It is the passing of time that deadens our passion. It, it diminishes the motivation and the excitement and the, and the, the eagerness behind our, our heart when we started what we started. The passing of time takes it away. I want to encourage you to remember a verse of Scripture now. And it's Proverbs 23, 7. I talk about this verse a lot. I don't think we've, as, we've, as human beings, even begun to plumb the depths of its meaning and power. It simply says this, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Let me encourage you to stop thinking negative thoughts. Stop thinking defeatist thoughts. Well, I'm old. I guess I'm just waiting to die. Man, don't go there. Get up every day and look for something beautiful for God to show you from His Word. Look for somebody outside your own circle to invest something in. You know how good it makes you feel when you invest in somebody's life, when you plant a seed of hope, when you encourage somebody, when you build up somebody's faith? Man, there is no feeling like that in the world. We just got to keep going because in due time is coming. I said, in due time is coming. I said, in due time is coming. Caleb got up every morning for 45 years, threw open the flap of his tent, walked out to the front of the desert, 
and looked across the Jordan River at the hill country of Hebron, way out there in the distance. And he said to himself, and this is my idea, it's not in Scripture this way, but I just imagine it happening this way. And Caleb looked at those mountains and he said, those are my mountains. One day, I'm going to have those mountains. He had a dream he wouldn't let go of. And even if it took him 45 years, he did not give up. And in due time came for Caleb. A little woman in the New Testament, in the book of Mark, you can read it. She had a, she had a bleeding problem. She, she just wouldn't stop bleeding. And for 12 years, the Bible says, she suffered. And she just bled for 12 years. And then she saw Jesus. And she had a thought. She didn't have a faith memory, but she did have a faith thought. She said, if I can press through the crowd around him and if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And the Bible records that she fought her way through the crowd and she touched his clothes and immediately she was healed. By the way, they just found, archaeologists just found a stone tablet in, in Rome while they were unearthing some pavement on the road or whatever. It's the first time we've had this kind of evidence to support the miracles that Jesus did. It's the, it's the writing, it's either a, a, a stone, parch, a stone uh, slab or a parchment, but they, they found something with writing. It's a Roman soldier who was, who was either in Rome or, or in Jerusalem, or in Nazareth maybe, I don't remember. I don't think it was Nazareth, it was Jerusalem or Rome. Anyway, Jesus was there. And this Roman soldier who's not a follower of Jesus, he's just a Roman soldier, he records in his journal that he watched a man named Jesus with some followers come up to a sick boy in the street who could not walk, that Jesus reached down, touched the boy, he stood up and was healed. This is a miracle. You can do a search on the internet, you'll find this. They just discovered this a few weeks ago. We have a, a non-follower of Christ, just a Roman citizen, journaling that he witnessed, I witnessed Jesus heal somebody. Let me tell you something, guys. All the stuff we preach and teach here, and all the stuff the Bible says, it's real. It's real. Jesus walked this earth. He was who he claimed to be. He did what he said he did. And if you will not become weary in doing good, in due time, you're going to reap a harvest if you won't give up. Your in due time is going to come. She touched Jesus' garment and immediately she was healed. Her in due time came. Don't, don't become weary in doing good. Don't give up. Don't get jaded to the process. Hang in there. God's not finished yet. You're here. You're alive. You're breathing. God's not finished writing your story yet. He's not done weaving the tapestry of your life. There are incredible things out there in front of you. Just don't get detached from the master weaver who's weaving that tapestry of your existence. Make sure the needle of you and the thread of your memories and your decisions is still in his hand. Don't decide, ah, I've tried this. I'm going to go do my own thing. No, 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 no. You hang in there. God is not finished with you yet. I want everybody in the house to stand to your feet.